As we conclude and end our series on fearless, there is a moment in this series, all the fears come together. They all play into the fear of death. And there needs to be within our hearts, in our minds, our souls, a resolve that says, I will not bow to the fear of death. It won't own me. It can't have me. I will become fearless in Jesus' name. Can I get an amen? And as we dive in to Hebrews chapter 2, either turn your phone on or turn in, in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2, there is a promise hidden within the gospel that enables us to tackle the fear of death with great fearlessness. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 says this, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil, who had, that's past tense, friends, had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Now, this is a powerful scripture that I'll return to in a moment that I'd love for you to chew on this week. But it declares a few things in here that are true 2,000 years later. And that is that many people are controlled by the fear of death. Hebrews begins to imply that some are slaves to the fear of death. When you're a slave, you lose the ability to choose. You don't choose what you get to do and not do. You do what your master tells you to do. And not only does it kind of tell you what to do, but it robs you of your God birth purpose. We have a mission statement here at Emmanuel that is we are empowered to reach those who are away from God, to grow in faith and to live a life of purpose. You and I were born with purpose and we're to live full lives of purpose. It's not just that we receive Jesus in salvation in one moment and then it's over, but there's a whole life ahead of us and the fear of death robs us of that life. And you, did you know that death was not God's design for us at all? You go back into the garden in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, you'll discover that in the garden there was no death. In fact, Adam and Eve walked and talked with God. They had a good time. There was no fear. There was no death. There was nothing. It was just, it was fun. But God had given a warning to Adam and Eve, and he said this, you can eat from any tree in all of the garden except for one tree, and that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat of that, you will, what, surely die. And of course, the great epic of history the great down point of history is when they chose to sin. And we can't blame it all on Adam and Eve because we still choose to sin. But from that moment on, death entered the picture. Adam, Eve were, Adam at least, was 930 years old when he died. How many would still like to live 930 years? That's a long time, baby. 
And selectively, the Lord kind of reduced the time that the people were alive on this earth. Death entered the picture for literally everyone. And the enemy has used the knowledge that we are going to die to intimidate us, to scare us, to bully us, to enslave us in multiple dimensions. And he has attempted to utilize our awareness of death to manipulate us. And I would just like to declare today, church, you don't have to be manipulated by the fear of death any longer. You don't have to have that control your thinking, your future anymore. See, we spend a lot of time in our culture uh, avoiding death, trying to cheat death, looking for the fountain of youth. Millions are spent on facial surgery, Hollywood. Actors are trying to cheat death by stretching their face and getting lifts here and there. And, and uh, you know, actors that over time, I remember uh, Harrison Ford when he was younger and, and now he's older. And, uh, and uh, there's so many different ones. Uh, George Clooney, John Travolta. How many of you remember some of them people? Any? They all like changed over time. And really when we see them changing, we recognize, guess who else is changing? We are. We're trying to delay the thought of aging because it makes us feel temporarily better, that somehow we're okay. And people are investing millions of dollars into diets and nutrition programs and workout regimens, and, and they're attempting to try to cheat death, extend life, and if you eat more natural, then maybe you'll extend your life, and yet many of the death rate still happens because it's not just, it's just not just nutrition uh, that kills people. Sometimes it's car accidents and other events that happen on the earth. And so we're still trying to fight it, we're still in denial, we're still trying to extend it, but it still happens to us. It even happened to, how many of you guys remember a guy named Jack LaLanne? Now this is going back in the day, but Jack LaLanne was one of those guys that would work out, he'd sell juicers and exercise equipment, and he got older and older and older until finally he did die in 2011 at 96 years old. But even in his 90s, he was doing push-ups He's doing 100 push-ups at 90 years old. That's amazing if you ask me. I'm like, when I grow up, that's what I want to be like. But there was an underlying kind of subtle marketing message that was going when, through the, the, the media way when people were watching Jack LaLanne. And it was this. If you follow his plan, you too can live longer than you expect to. You can extend your quality of life. You can become better than you thought you could become. And somewhere in us, we're trying to delay the inevitable. Our founding pastor of the church, Mark Denius, he had a statement that I've repeated over and over again. And that is that this is not the land of the living, the next one is. This is actually the land of the dying. And the reality is we want to push away that thought for as long as we can. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 says, Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. That's an amazing scripture, especially if you read the whole part of that. 
Because somewhere inside of all of us is an awareness of eternity. It's written, the scripture says, into our human heart. Even those who deny it, want to deny there's a God, want to say that once you die, once you die that that's all there is. Somewhere on their heart they know something happens after I'm gone. Eternity is written in their heart. And then people perceive it from different vantage points. They handle the knowledge of death or their own eternity through different points of view. Some people, they are the YOLO people. They are the people you only live once. You guys ever heard of that? And they want to spend everything they can now. They're, they're, they're convinced they're going to die, so they want to get every kind of life experience in that they can possibly get in. They'll go on as many vacations as they can, buy as many toys as they can, do everything that they can because you only live once anyways. Many times people that do that, do that to the exclusion of the value of the friendships and the loved ones in their life. They push people out. Sometimes they push past moral boundaries because they want to experience something and they're convinced they may not experience it if they don't do it now. And their priority becomes temporary gratification. If we think that this is all that there is, we try to get everything we can out of this life. See, the enemy uses fear to create bondage in our life and we become slaves to the moment. People that have the fear of death, you may not even think of this, but when we live and die on a moment, we are slaves to that moment. We become slaves to it. It owns us, it rules us. We think we've got to get all we can while we can with whatever means we can. But at the end, at the end of your story and my story, guess how much of the stuff we accumulate on the earth we get to take with us? None of it. None of it. Other people, they have such a fear of death that they don't even live. So they don't have life in this earth. And that's the opposite. You know, you want to live everything now and expend your energy on everything now? Well, some people don't live at all. They're closed in. They're constantly reading into daily experiences, afraid of things going on, looking into the news and reading into the news that bad things are now going to happen. Politicians love to feed that fear, don't they? Sometimes we hit setbacks that we think are only prophecies of what's coming next. Did you know just because you had a bad day, it's not a prophecy that your life is going to end? But we kind of feel that way. We believe that way. The transmission went out. I don't have any, enough money to get this done. She broke up with me. I don't know what to do. And we get kind of consumed in the moment. Recently, I've become more aware of and burdened by the reality that Many, many teenagers and now adults battle suicidal thoughts at increasing levels. That somehow it slips into their brain that it would be better because this moment is so overwhelming and we feel like it's going to be perpetual. It'd be better to end it. The enemy has slipped a lie into there that somehow it would be better. Some even say to themselves, if I end it, it'll be better for my family and my friends. But I want to hear, hear me clearly today, church. If you've heard those words go in your brain, it's a lie. It's a 100% lie. It's not true. It's a lie. But the fear of death can weave its way in in weird ways, even that way. That somehow 
We're afraid of the end and the perpetuality of negative things in our life. And so we want to end it for everybody else. It's somehow some kind of unselfish activity. But in reality, it leaves a, 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 a field of, of broken memories and hurt feelings and people left behind and not a good legacy left behind. And I want to just declare to you today that if you're succumbing to a fear that's going through your brain and the fear of death, and somehow that you've got a strange affinity where you think about and embrace those fears and those feelings. Today is your day to let Jesus step in and end that fear. It's time for it to end and not control your thoughts anymore. It dominates too much of your time. I'm trying to escape, but that is not a way to escape. In some cases, people who have the fear of death, have the fear of death for other people. And we smother the loved ones in our life. Parents who are afraid of losing their kids or afraid of something happening. And they stop their kids from doing anything at all. And they smother them. Or friends who won't let their, other, their friend uh, dream. And uh, they come up with all the worst case scenarios of what possibly could happen. I don't know how many of you sit there and think about worst case scenarios. But the ultimate in fear is, is to experience the emotion of something before it actually happens. And so you're sitting there and you, you're thinking about all the worst case scenarios. You don't even realize that you're a killjoy to be around. You're sucking the life out of the relationships you're in. All because of what could happen down the road. And it's a fear that can control you. The fear of death robs the dreams and the visions that the spirit of God brings us. Even Mark Twain noted something. He said that the fear of death follows from the fear of life. A man who lives fully is prepared to die at any time. You know what happens, I think, when we have the fear of death? We hold back things in reserve. And all of us have an unlived life inside of us. An unlived life is our potential that is held back by fear. It's our potential that's held back by fear. Perhaps things could be released in your life. You could chase your dreams. You could be all that you've meant to be. You could conquer an addiction. You could conquer uh, the, the, the problems of your life. You could embrace the world that's around you and love the unlovely and, and, and cancel out injustices around you. But the fear inside you creates a situation where it's an unlived life. Potential in you that's not lived out through you. And the unique thing is, is Jesus came in to cancel our slavery to the master called the fear of death. I started this series off with 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, which said, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. You see, if we focus our thoughts on Jesus and look his direction, he has the ability to set us free from the daily slavery to the master called fear. I'll read again from Hebrews 2 as I started out our sermon today. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. You know what I love about this scripture? Because Jesus is the only one that qualifies to not have to die. 
Remember the qualifications for death are sin. The, the penalty of sin is death. Jesus never sinned. He didn't have to die. But thank Jesus, he chose to go to the cross, chose to die, chose to take our penalty on himself, and then died on the cross, rose from the grave, and came back. That's why he's the one and only option to conquer the fear of death. Jesus is the only one that fills that category up in our lives. He's it. He came and he found a way through for us. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for God made Christ who had never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And not only did he make a way through, but if Jesus could overcome death himself, he could also give life to whomever he wants to. This is where our confidence comes from. I love what he said to Martha in John chapter 11. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? I love this. He says that I am the resurrection and the life and anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Turn to the person next to you and say, do you believe? Here's the great promise. Here's the great promise in overcoming and becoming fearless. Our promise starts and ends with Jesus. When we look to Jesus, he's the one that leads us out. And for those of us in Christ who pass on, death is not our final frontier. We believe that when we die, we go into the presence of the Lord. We believe that on a daily basis, those who are Christians and have gone before us are aware of us on this side of eternity. In other words, this is not the only land that there is. There's another land. And friends, let me ask you a question. How many of you know somebody who has died and is with the Lord right now? The scripture says that they have a certain awareness if they're in heaven. They're around the throne. They're free from a whole bunch of pain and sickness and all the other things that we experience. But they also have an awareness, and their awareness is of us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Here's the cool thing. There is a grandstand in heaven for those that have passed on and trusted in Jesus that is looking at us from the stands and cheering us on. I've seen some crazy Viking fans who paint themselves up with weird paint colors and put weird stuff on their body. I've seen some even crazier Packer fans who put stuff on their head like cheese blocks and stuff like that. Those are called fans. Those, they're fanatical about the team on the field. They are for that team. They wear the uniform of that team in the stands, if you will. 
The people that are in heaven that have gone on before us are looking back at us right now and they have our uniform on. They are cheering for us. They believe in us. They know our story. They are in a different state that we're in. They're in a place where they're free from the, the weight of the temporary pain that we feel, but they hit their finish line and now they're looking back at us and they're cheering us on. They're cheering us on and they say it's worth it. There will be a day, a final day for for sin. There will be a final word on cancer. There will be a final word on death. There will be a final word on rejection. There will be a final word on racism. There will be a final time when those things that are controlling the pain in our culture are ended. There is a day coming, a final day that we're running toward that they know about and they're saying don't give up. Don't get so clouded by the pain of the culture around you. Don't lose heart in the middle of a political season. Don't give up because things aren't working out right now. There is a greater reality called heaven that you're running for and you can win the race. Come on, somebody. You can win it. God's not up in heaven biting his nails over the political season of who's going to get into the presidential office. He's not upset about what, listen, we get caught up in too many temporary things. We're caught up into the kingdoms of this world. But he is in control. And when we're faced the subject of death, we have to have no fear. It's not that we want to die, it's the fact that the subject we know can't control us because we, we know who we trust in. We know where we're going. We know that our life is hidden in Christ. See, there's a reality. There's heaven and there's hell in eternity. And in our culture, people are aware of that. It's written on their hearts. The enemy has slipped in a lie that there's only heaven. People don't want to talk about hell. But nobody talked about hell more than Jesus did. And his appeal was, hell is not worth it. So not worth it that you'll go to extreme measures to not be there. Heaven is so worth it. In our culture, we kind of come up with weird categories of how we think someone makes it to heaven and some make it to hell. Some people say, well, I know who's not going to be in heaven and who's going to be in hell. Hitler's going to be in hell. And, and we come up with, you know, terrorists are going to be in hell. And we come up with our own list. And we're convinced that good people that just do good things, that somehow they're going to be in heaven. But that's not what the Bible says. It says that all have sinned. And because everyone has sinned, going back to the garden, everyone will face death. And what we face at the moment of our death is determined by what we do with Jesus. Will we turn to Jesus or walk away from him? And see, the reality is, is that the worst of sinners can bow their heart before Jesus and find an unbelievable grace to cover their sin. And the most self-righteous people that are do-gooders, that perhaps are doing some good things, but if they don't bow their heart to Jesus, will not find that grace and mercy. And the church has stood for 2,000 years in a world that is afraid of death. The world is trying to avoid death. 
and terrorism and wars and shootings. Death becomes a tool to confuse and control. Friends, I want you to know that the church of Jesus Christ is created in such a way that our hope is in him that we cannot be manipulated by the same things everyone else can. The Roman Empire, early on as the church began to grow, the, the Roman Empire tried to snuff out and eradicate Christianity. And so they came up with elaborate systems. They put Christians in, into these big stadiums where they had to fight wild animals and lions. And the Colosseum in Rome was filled with kind of days where people would go to watch Christians be killed. And the mentality was that if we intimidate and show brutality, that somehow it'll make Christians give up. And the reason that they felt that way is because the Roman Empire was kind of forged off of one kind of principle, and that was that Caesar was Lord, Kyrios. Caesar was Lord, and they would put statues of Caesar, whoever the Caesar of that day was at that time, in towns and cities, and they have to hail allegiance to Caesar, or Caesar is Lord. And Christians would say, I can't do that because there's only one Lord and his name is Jesus. So when you see Jesus is Lord in the New Testament, it is a radical political statement to the government of the age. They are revolting against the God of the age and saying there is only one Lord, only one way, only one truth, only one person that has lived life and death in his hands and it's Jesus Christ. And they would not give in. No matter how difficult and painful and cruel the deaths were and the punishment was, the Christians responded with, you can kill my body, but you cannot kill my soul. See, my soul is in the hands of the one who died on the cross, snatched the keys of death, hell in the grave, conquered the power of death for me. And because he lives within me, I can face any of those fears. Christians have stood in the face of the fear of death and said to death, I'm not afraid of you, death. You see, you can kill my body, but I will stand before Jesus, and this life is not all that there is. And of course, the great testimony of that is seen in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, and it says that they have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Well, friends, I am declaring to you today not that we're going to have the level of persecution that the Christians experienced in the Roman history of brutally killing Christians, but I think we can overcome the fears of death in this life that are a little bit more unnoticed by some. Maybe you have a fear that's kind of going into your head where you feel like I'm giving into it. I find myself afraid and anxiety fills my soul. You can find the hope that Christians of previous generations have found that you can overcome that fear of death in your life. And I love to look at scriptural stories, biographies of people that faced certain fears and they overcame. Some of them, they lost their life, others of them, they persevered. And one of them is in Daniel chapter 3. Would you turn there with me? In Daniel chapter 3, there's this great story in all of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. 
And Nebuchadnezzar has erected this giant statue and he calls the entire nation to bow to Lord Nebuchadnezzar, just as Romans did for Caesar. And these Hebrew kids, actually their names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were changed the names. But they were, they were told they too had to bow. And because they wouldn't, Nebuchadnezzar heard about it. He was angry about that. And so he had a big fire stoked up that he was going to throw all those that would not bow their knee to him into the fire. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to walk up to him, and he warned them. He says, if you don't bow, I'm going to kill you. And then look at Daniel 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you if, everybody said if, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. This is an interesting moment because they said, we're not going to give in. We're okay with paying taxes. We're okay with uh, volunteering. We're okay with serving. We're okay with working. We're okay with doing whatever. But there's one area that there's only one Lord of our life, and it's Yahweh, the God of, of Israel. And so they said, we're not going to do it. And they said this. They were able to say, yeah, I know the fear is telling me we might die, but even if we still are going to follow you, and I would suggest to you today that all of us have to move from the if, the what ifs of our life, what if controlling us, to the even if. So that when it comes at us, we're not intimidated by the fears that come at us, but we persevere and stare it down. And I would suggest to you the way that they were able to do that is their eyes were on the eternal. They saw beyond the moment. They saw beyond the the flames. They saw beyond the feeling of the heat coming their way. They saw beyond the intimidation of King Nebuchadnezzar. They saw beyond it all. And it's exactly what Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now, rather we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Come on, somebody. That's... So I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're going through. But the temptation is, is to get caught up in the temporary. The news of what one candidate said or another candidate said. It's, it's incredible to me how the temporary can take us over. And we can lose sight of the eternal. It's all going to pass away, friends. So if we're able to fix our eyes, our gaze, as Paul says, on the eternal, our way to move from the what if to the even if is to focus on the eternal. 
And when we learn to focus on the eternal, it takes us out of the intimidating, controlling factor of the master called the fear of death. And we then turn it over to the one who conquered death, hell, and the grave. And he has the capacity to lead us through. And then, I love this. When you look at Jesus and you look to Jesus, Jesus joins you. See, really, you can handle anything if he joins you. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, look at verse 24 of Daniel 3. But suddenly, they're in the fire now, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Now, there have been scholars that have looked at this and they've said, is it an angel? Is it, is it Jesus? All I know is these three guys who said, even if, or are now in the fire, are able to walk around in the middle of the fire, unburned, and able to do things because they were not alone. When you fix your eyes on the eternal, you move from just being you in your story to God and you being in your story. And when God is with you, you can handle anything. That's why David was able to sing, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't fear because you're with me. He's right beside you. But when your eyes are on the temporary, you don't have room to notice that he's with you or wanting to help you. Friends, if you can shift your eyes to the eternal, it's the answer for every fear. You have the capacity to say, even if, I know it's a bad day. I know the transmission broke. I know we don't have enough money. I know I'm having a difficulty in my relationships. I know the government isn't the way it's supposed to be. I know all of that stuff is going on, but my soul is at peace because I'm with Jesus. He holds my soul. I know who holds my soul, so I'm not going to be consumed by the temporary things that don't hold my future. Friends, you can trust Jesus with literally every part of your life. You are going to make it. You can steer down the fear of death if you know that Jesus is with you. Can I get an amen? Come on. They have defeated him by the blood of the lamb, by their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Today, I wanted to speak life over this church. I want to speak life over you. And it's possible that death and fear is try to creep into your brain and you have an unlived life inside of you right now. And Jesus would step into the picture and say, I've had it with the power of death. Jesus went through great expense to die on the cross to set you free, not only from your sin and your eternal uh, destination, but to give you a life that's free. You might feel like you're controlled by the fears of what other people think about you, or what's gonna happen next? How am I gonna make it? Will I ever get married? Will this pain go away? 
You might be consumed by the temporary. And that's when the enemy slips in with suicidal thoughts or slips in with giving up. Or you might as well just do whatever your flesh tells you to do because you only live once. You might kind of get caught up in that. I want to live forever and so I'm going to work on my body. The Bible says that bodily, bodily exercise profits little. It does profit. But in the end, it's the eternal that matters. Can I get an amen? And today I want to speak life over you. We're going to pray and we're going to worship together. We're going to ask God to come in. I want you to stand with me today. Ask the question. There's two things. It's the blood of the lamb. The blood of the lamb is simply this. Jesus dying on the cross for our sin. People overcome through the blood of the lamb by humbling themselves and receiving the love and the forgiveness that only Jesus offers. If you are away from God today, if you're in a place where you want to conquer fear, you cannot conquer fear without Jesus. But if you're here today, you know that you need to turn your heart to Jesus, either coming back to him or giving him your life. This is your day. This is your moment to do that. If you're here and you need to come to Jesus or you need to give your life to him, you need the blood of Jesus in your life, put your hand up. Say, that's me, Pastor Nate. Yeah, yeah. Balcony, main floor, yeah. I want to lead you in a prayer because I don't want you to stay in a place where you're separate. I want you to be part of the fam, amen? And so I want to lead you in a prayer. Just pray this prayer out loud after me and everyone else, you join right in. Say, Jesus, please forgive me of looking at the temporary and not trusting you. I believe you came to the earth, lived a sinless life, died on a cross for my sin. Today, I choose to follow you because I know you're not dead, you're alive. And today, I put my faith, my trust, my hope in you. Wash me, change me, and help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Somebody give the Lord some praise in the house. Come on now. Hallelujah. 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 I've been, I just, I've been wrestling about this spot in the service today. I was praying last night and that God was speaking to me. He was talking to me about people in our church in the balcony and the main floor. And it was as if Jesus wanted to shout through me, you don't have to leave with chains on you. You don't have to have that torment in your brain. You, you can yield to God. And I, I want there to be absolute freedom. The title of our series is Fearless, meaning we are going to have challenges, but we have the ability to walk in even if into the fires. And I don't know what your challenges are when you walk off this campus today are going to be, but I know this. If you fix your eyes on Jesus, on the one who was and is and is to come, you have hope for whatever you walk back into. And I feel like I just want, I want to declare an end to the reign of the, of the power of hell itself and the power of fear and a beginning of the reign of Jesus in your life. Can you do this? Just, just lift your hands right now. I want to pray a prayer over you if I can. Jesus. Jesus, I thank you that these are your precious, precious children. 
Lord, I thank you that you love them with an everlasting love. And even though we've wandered away, we've chased our own thoughts and desires, you still willingly went to the cross because you were the only one, the only one that could do it. You had not sinned, yet you chose to embrace the cross for us. And today, Lord, these are your children. And I ask, oh God, that whatever's happened since we were in our mother's womb until this moment, whatever lies that come at us, whatever things we've given into, whatever filth we've put in our brain, whatever stuff we've done that has been sinful in activity, whatever words have been spoken over us, I ask, oh God, that you would end the curse of sin in Jesus' name. That you would break the hold of the devil on our minds in Jesus' name. And I pray, oh God, that you would lose the everlasting love, the love of the Father upon each one, oh God. I pray, oh God, that you would speak life over homes and marriages and individuals, over children. I ask in Jesus' name that you would bring life into their soul, that their purpose that's in them, the un live life would come to the forefront that they would live out the purposes of God in and through their life I pray in Jesus name in Jesus name in Jesus name yes in Jesus name let it be let it be